Second uh, Timothy chapter two. Here we go. We're going to pick up right where we left off from last week, uh, beginning in verse twenty-three. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Man, we're going to hammer on that today. Are you ready for that? The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Make sure I was on there. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that uh, your word reveals to us truth. It reveals to us the truth about God and the truth about us and the truth about life. And God, I pray that through the word of God this morning that you would transform us into the image of Jesus. I pray that you would help us to know what are the really important things in life. Uh, God, help us to know what things are not worth breaking a relationship and quarreling over. God, help us, Father, to handle quarrels and conflicts in a way that brings glory to your name and brings repentance and brings escape from the, the snare of the devil. Father, we ask that you would do just what your word says this morning in us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. About a month ago or so, I was running in my neighborhood. Sometimes I do that. I don't really like to do that, but sometimes when I can't ride my bike, I go ahead and run. And I was running around in my neighborhood. I was over kind of by the Bank 7 building. Uh, there's a, a neighborhood right behind that building that I was in, and I just kind of entered that neighborhood. And uh, real crisp morning. You know those mornings where it's just like there's not a sound, you know? And uh, just really a beautiful morning. And, and, and all of a sudden, I, I'm running there, and I hear a woman's voice say, No! No, no, you know, and man, and I recognized the voice. It was Winnie Tennant, you know, and, and man, you know, I know Winnie well. I've known her for 15 years, over 15 years and we're, we're neighbors and she kept our kids. She just ministers to our life. So I know Winnie well and I knew, I knew who it was. I mean, it wasn't a doubt in my mind. That's Winnie. And she is screaming, no, 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 you know, and she's, I mean, just yell. I mean, I can hear it. I am, I am, I'm two blocks away, you know, by, by as the crow flies. I'm probably like three or four blocks by the road, you know, and man, I think, man, someone's killing Winnie, you know, and then we broke into her house, you know, and so, man, I take off and I went into a sprint. It's not a lot faster than my regular run, but I was, you know, doing my best and I sprinted. I went around that neighborhood. I got back on 34th. I turned on Cheyenne. I come and her garage door is open, you know, and which is kind of unusual anyway. And I just went straight in. I mean, I, I ran, well, the whole time I'm thinking karate moves I've seen on TV and I'm thinking wrestling stuff, you know, that I'm going to have to fend off this attacker that's killing our sweet, you know, senior adult lady. And, and I come in the door there, you know, I didn't even knock. I just came right in and I was coming in ready for action. You know, she's standing there in her kitchen, you know, she's ready to go. She's got her pocketbook. She's standing there. She said, well, hello, sweetie. So what happened? I said, you're screaming. No, no. She said, Oh, Shorty got in the backyard. He wouldn't come out. Now, if you don't know who Shorty is, it's her little dog, you know. I call him Sprinkler because of what, you, what he does when you try to pet him. He, you know. And, but anyway, so Shorty got into the yard and he wouldn't come back. And, and I said, you know, I'm standing there out of breath, half scared to death. So somebody's killing Winnie. And I said, Winnie. I said, Winnie. I said, there's levels of importance and degree to stuff, you know. I mean, not everything is up here. I mean, yeah, you're screaming like someone's killing you, you know? I thought you was in danger. So I kind of tried to lay out for her. I said, all right, Winnie, someone's murdering you. That's up here, you know? Someone's murdering Shorty. That's down here, you know? That, that goes from no to no, okay? You know, Shorty's chewing on somebody's leg. That's down here. That goes from, from no to no, okay? 
Shorty's in the backyard and won't come out. That's down here. That's like, no. Okay? So, right? There's levels of degree of importance. And we all, we all understand that. Well, Winnie's learning that still. But um, as Christians, listen, we, we need to regard truth and the scriptures and our convictions with the same levels of intensity. You see, not everything is what I would call code blue, right? Have you ever been in the hospital and they call code blue, you know? Man, that's how everything stops and all the doctors come and all the nurses come, whatever they're doing, right? You, you don't ring code blue when the bedpan is full. I mean, that, that's not a code blue. That's a code yellow, right? It's not code blue. That, that doesn't demand immediate attention. That doesn't demand we got to get there. All the doctors don't come running, okay? And so what we have to understand, my friends, and this is very important, not everything is code blue. Notice what, what Paul tells Timothy in verse 23. He says, have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies, okay? You know that they breed quarrels. And so, so Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, look, not everything is worth fighting over. Not everything's worth discussing. Not everything's worth a sermon. Not everything's worth the controversy. Not everything's worth getting riled up about. Just, there, there's some stuff that's just, it's just not as important, okay? And we as a church, we have to understand what's in the code blue range, okay? There are certain things that are in that range. The gospel is in that range. Did you know that Jesus, there were times where Jesus got really upset. There were times where Jesus turned over the tables in the temple and he took a whip and he drove the people out of there. Jesus got really upset over the gospel, okay? When people began to tell people and to preach and to live in such a way that says you can be saved by something other than the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, that is a code blue, okay? If I ever get up here in this pulpit and I say, guys, I had a dream last night, I had a revelation, and in that dream, it was told to me that that you're saved by doing these five good works, and here they are, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, you know, number five is be a cyclist, you know, God told me that, you know, you got to do these five things, if you do those five things, you'll go to heaven, you need to say, code blue, pastor. Okay. You need, you need to stop the sermon. Somebody needs to come up and say, listen, that is against the scriptures. You're toying with people's eternity. You, you cannot say that from our pulpit. You need to get back up there. You need to correct what you said. And if you do not correct what you said, you can no longer be our pastor. Okay. That's a code blue. Not everything is in that category, my friends. Some things are just not. Jesus is coming back. Amen. We're going to hold to that one. Okay. When is he coming back? I got no idea. Okay. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus, the Bible says no man knows. Okay. All right. Is he coming back before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation? Are you a pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Uh, are you a pan-millennialist or an all-millennialist or a post-millennialist or a pre-millennialist? You know, you know what? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, you may be something, you may have strong convictions about that, but that's not a code blue. Okay. It's just, it's just not a code blue. Uh, I know Jesus is coming back and I, I'm certain about that. But as far as when and how that's all going to take place, we may have a lot of different disagreements about that. We may think a lot of different things about that, but those things are not code blue. Style of worship. You know what? That's not a code blue. As we sing songs to Jesus here, they are going to be songs that are theologically accurate. Okay, that's important. We want to say what the Bible says. We're going to sing songs that exalt the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. But whether we sing them with a country twang or a bluegrass, what's a bluegrass? Bluegrass blue? I don't know. Or, or whether we sing them with rap or whether we sing them in a rock and roll style or a Celtic I don't know, whatever. It really doesn't, honestly, it doesn't make any difference to me, okay? Now, I'm just one of those guys, I just want to sing to Jesus, okay? And I want to sing songs that matter. 
Okay, but as for what we sing them, hey, that's up to you guys. I mean, I don't, that's up to our worship leaders. It's not something I'm going to fight about. It's not something that's code blue. Those aren't going off, okay? We're not going to fight about politics at LBC. We're not going to fight about two-stepping. We're, we're not even going to fight. We're not going to quarrel about what's the next step in LBC's expansion, okay? I'm really convinced of that. I'm convinced that if it's, if, if it's going to cause a fight, then we just won't expand. We'll just, I don't know what we'll do. We'll, we'll set up a big circus tent and that'll be fine with me, you know? I mean, I mean we're just, we're not, it's not a code blue, okay? It's not. I mean, there's just things Paul says. There, Timothy, there's certain things that you're just not to get all riled up about, okay? There are things we're going to discuss and we're going to pray through and we're going to seek God's guidance and we're going to, but, but listen, certain things are not a code blue and we need to know the difference. You know what I wish somebody would have done? I'm a little angry at some of you older folks have more experience than me. You should have set me down when Hannah, my oldest child, was about 11. You should have set me down and you should have said, Pastor Jason, you know what you need to do? You and Emma, you need to get your Bibles and a notebook and you need to go away. Go away for two days. Get in a motel somewhere, get at a retreat center, get in their tent, whatever. And, and you guys need to pray through what are the code blue things in your family. Man, that would have been helpful. I tell you what, if you're, if you're, if you're a family and you've got teenagers coming, you know, I mean, that's really important because all of a sudden you get hit with all this stuff. They start making decisions, you know, on their own. And, and you've got to all of a sudden, sometimes on the fly, figure out, all right, is this a big deal or not a big deal? You know, I mean, you know, they, they come home with, you know, purple hair. Okay, well, hold on, you know. Is that a code blue or not? You know, and honestly, that's kind of hard to figure out. I mean, is it or is it not? You know, but I, I wish somebody would have tell, told me, look, you've got to figure those things out ahead of time. You know, you got to realize what, what are the code blues in our life? What are the things that we're going to go to bat for? What are the things we're going to die for? What are the things that we're, you know, and what are the things that are not? What are the things that are lower down on the totem pole? You know, there's some questions that, and these aren't from the scriptures here this morning. These are just some that I thought of. There's some things that I think we need to go through, kind of a little litmus test that we need to go through as far as figuring out what, 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 what's things we need to care about deeply and what's things we not, don't need to care about deeply. Here, here's some questions to ask. Is there clear scriptural teaching? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? Is there clear scriptural teaching? Can I, can, I, can I go to the scriptures and say, all right, the Bible says this? Or, or can I even go and say, all right, the Bible says this? And maybe it doesn't address this subject, but look, these two are clearly connected. You know, is there clear scriptural teaching? Number two, does it matter? You know, there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it really doesn't. You know, I mean, whenever I ask myself, okay, you know, someone challenged me on something, what do you think about it? I'm like, well, you know, if I answer yes or no, does it really make any difference? You know, Uh, I mean, that's something to ask. You know, does it it need to be discussed? Is there a purpose? Is it necessary for the mission and ministry that God's called us to? And the final one is the person we're having the discussion with ready for it. And we need to ask that. You know, it's the reason why you don't tell your kids everything you know about sex when they're five. Okay. You know, now it's not that they don't need to know that someday. And it's not that what you may be telling them is absolutely true. But they don't need to know it when they're five, you know. And in the same way, there's a lot of times where a new Christian you know, a new Christian, man, they're, they've just received Christ, their Lord and Savior. And, and man, they're, they're just basking in the glory of his forgiveness and his, his righteousness and salvation in heaven. Man, I tell you, the last thing you need to do is come grab that guy by the arm and say, all right, and you need to sit down. And you need to tell me, what do you believe about predestination? What do you believe about election? What do you believe about, you know, the pre-trib rapture? I mean, man, they, they're not ready to have that discussion yet. And so those are some good questions to ask just yourself as you begin to think about what are the code blue things in my life? You know, a lot of this really depends on what, what, do, you, what do you think this is for? Okay, that's a, that's a great question. What's this for? 
You know, what, what, what exactly are we to study this for? Uh, let, let me tell you my answer for that. I really believe that God has given us this book, this inspired, infallible book without error. I think he has given this book to us that he might reveal God to us. Okay, I think that's the primary purpose is that, that this book reveals to us the glory, the nature, the character, the promises, the commands of God. Okay, this book reveals God to us. And this book, as we embrace it and believe it, transforms me into the image of Jesus. That's, that's what I would say the purpose of this book is. It's to reveal God to us so that we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you, you know what this book's not for? It's not for trivia, okay? This book is, is, is not a book that we get so that we can, you know, stump people or we can throw a wrench into people's, you know, theology or so that we can show how smart we are. Man, that's not the purpose of this book. I, I was preaching on Genesis a couple years ago and uh, preaching through Genesis. And, I, and, you know, I've had someone come up to me and say this before. So, and they always say it kind of with a smirk like they already got me, you know. They say, so you believe in a literal Genesis, do you? <laughs> you know, and I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you really believe there's a man named Adam and he was, you know, made from the dirt. And you believe that and he had his wife named Eve. She was made from the rib of Adam. And you really believe that there were, you know, six days of creation and seven day God rest. And you really believe there was a literal flood. And you really believe there's a tower babel and you know all this stuff and i yeah yeah i believe that you know i, I do I, I believe that's what the bible says i mean you know I, I i think that's true you know and they come back like they got me ha ha well where'd cain get his wife you know and let me tell you what i'm thinking when someone says that to me i'm thinking man every day in my life you know what i'm doing i am striving to love god with my heart soul mind and strength that's hard for me is that hard for you man that's hard for me Man, I, I got, I got, I need help. I need the word of God. You know, man, I, I'm, I'm trying to love my enemy. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to parent my kid. Man, I'm trying, I'm trying with all my might to pray effectively and sow seeds of the gospel in five kids that I pray will be saved and sanctified and live lives of productive godliness. Man, I'm trying. You know what God laid on me in Ephesians five? He told me love my wife like Christ loves the church. I mean, that talk about bowling you over, you know. And man, every day of my life, I'm trying to dig into the scriptures so that, that, that I might be able to, to fulfill that command that's placed on my life. I mean, that's what I'm looking at the scriptures for. And I got a guy standing in front of me. You know why he wants to know the scriptures? He wants to know where Cain got his wife. I don't care where Cain got his wife. Adam and Eve had kids for 900 years. Half of them were probably girls. He had an abundant supply to pick from. I don't know who he picked or where he picked or why he picked, I don't know where he got his wife, but he had a wife and he had kids, you know? What does that make a difference in my... Now, I'm not saying the Bible's not important. I'm not saying we don't answer questions, uh, but I'm just saying, do you see the difference between the way I look at the Bible and the way some people look at the Bible? I mean, some people look at the Bible so they can answer questions like, how many angels can you put on the head of a pen? Why would angels sit on the head of pens in the first place? Okay, uh, you know, uh, and why do I need to know that? Does that change my theology? You know, if you tell me, well, it's 99, pastor. I'm like, oh gosh, guys, I got to go. I got to go get to my wife, you know, 99, you know, I mean, no, I mean, it doesn't change anything. Why do I want to know that? The Bible reveals to us, God, that we might be made into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the Bible, friends. After I got saved, there was a guy in my hometown, 100% of the time, this was the discouraging thing, 100% of the time, he was kind of a guy from my past before I was saved. 100% of the time after I was saved, every time I would see him, until he died, every time I would see him, he would have some kind of funky Bible question for me, you know? 
And here's the sad thing. Never once was he interested in following Jesus. He wasn't interested in the gospel. He wasn't interested in having his sins forgiven. He wasn't interested in living a holy life. He wasn't interested in, 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 in what God's plan for his life was. You know what he was interested in? Trying to stump me in the Bible. That's not the purpose of the scriptures. I think that's part of what Paul's talking to Timothy about here. You know what's interesting? Um, th- these are really not my favorite kinds of passages to preach on. Um, but man, I think they're really important. One of the reasons I think they're important is because they happen a lot. If we go into first Timothy, we're in second Timothy right now, right? Paul wrote a letter to Timothy prior to this into first Timothy. If you'll, if you'll just turn back a couple pages, you'll notice that Paul gives almost the same instructions to Timothy in his first letter. In other words, it's important enough to say twice. Okay. Listen to what he says here. Verse three, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. You see what he's saying? Man, don't, don't devote yourselves to this stuff that doesn't really matter, which promotes speculations. That's really all it does rather than stewardship. I mean, how are we ever going to really know how many angels sit on a pen, you know, or why they would say, I mean, that's just speculation. Okay. Rather than the stewardship from God. Now, here's the gravy verse in this passage. Verse 5, okay? Man, hone in on verse 5. The aim of our charge. Okay, what's the purpose of us opening the Bible every Sunday? What's the purpose of you going to your small group tonight and looking at the Scriptures? What's the purpose of you going to Sunday school this morning and looking into the Scriptures? The purpose is, verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What should the Bible be doing in us? It should be producing in us a love for God and a love for neighbor and a pure conscience and a sincere faith. We should be growing in our faith and our love and our care for Jesus Christ. That is what the Bible does. Okay, that's the purpose of the Bible. Don't get distracted from that. That's what the scriptures should be doing in your life and in my life. Okay, now... Here's where Timothy goes with this whole conversation. Second, go back to our passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2. So he says, I have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies because you know, you know what they breed? They breed quarrels, okay? That's all they really are. It's people that like to argue. It's people that like to get up in arms about stuff. And I want you to notice verse 24. Are you ready? Hold on to your seats, okay? Because this is, this is heavy. None of you are doing it. You don't believe it. All right, if you get blown off your seat, that's your own fault. Verse 24, here we go. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Did you hear that? The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. I want you to say that with me. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Man, that is a heavy hitting passage right there, my friends. You know why? Because I believe that most of the people in this room would say, I want to be a servant of Jesus. I want to be God's servant. Man, I want to follow Christ. I want to serve Jesus. I want to be used by him. You know, last week, the whole sermon was about people that God can use. And I think there are people in this room that would say, I want to be known as a servant of God. I want to be known as a servant servant of Jesus. Well, here's what Paul is telling us today. If you're a person who is quarrelsome, you can't be a servant of Jesus. Those two don't go together. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't get along. Okay. Now, now, now here's the hard question we got to ask ourselves. Am I quarrelsome? Now, how do you know that? Well, it's, we're not saying have you ever gotten angry because we all would have to raise our hand to that. Okay. But, but here's what you need to ask yourself. Am I the kind of person that continually finds himself with hurt feelings? 
Am I, kind of, am I the kind of person that continually finds himself in a quarrel? Am I the kind of person that continually finds himself being bent out of shape, being in a tiff, always in an argument? My feelings are always hurt. I'm always put out. I'm always embroiled in a controversy. I'm always angry about something. Folks, you cannot be an effective servant of Jesus Christ if you're always in a tizzy. Okay? I mean, that, that, that is what Paul is saying. If, you, if, you, if, the, if the, the pattern of your life is that you're a fighter, you know, you're a quarreler, you're always in an argument, you're always mad about something, you're always embroiling something. Listen, you cannot be an effective servant of Jesus Christ. Now, now let's match that verse up with what we just read, where Paul's telling Timothy, man, don't have anything to do with these foolish and ignorant controversies. What he's saying is, first of all, we got to realize that to be a servant of Jesus Christ, we got to realize not everything's code blue, right? Not everything is code blue. Man, have you guys figured this out in your marriage yet? I mean, it took me about a year, you know, but, but I finally, you know, kind of ding, light bulb, you know. Man, I, I remember that first year, you know, man, you're just, you're moving in with somebody. They've, you know, they've got their family. You've got your family. You've got all these differences in life, you know. And I, I remember working, we're walking in and I asked my wife if I could share this. I asked her during the sermon, though, so it might have been a mistake. <laughs> you know, I'm already half into it, so. But she kissed me when I left Fifth Street, so I think I'm okay. But. Man, I'm the type of person, I wear my shoes till I go to bed. You know, I mean, I just, I got them all. I put them on in the morning. I wear them. My wife, if, if she don't have to wear shoes, she ain't wearing them, you know. And my, my kids are that way. All my kids are that way too. So you know what all of them do when they come in the house? They walk, yeah, exactly that. They walk in, boop, there they go, you know. Man, I, so I got married and I'm like, you know, uh, honey, I think we need to talk, you know. Um, did you notice that you've got shoes laying by the front door? Did you notice that there's some shoes by the cat? Honey, did, you know, we need to, I need to have this conversation with you. I don't know if you realize this, but you, you know, your shoes are all over. Okay. That's not code blue. I figured that out real quick. You know, it's just not, it's just, it's just not, you know, not, not to me anyway. You know, as, as I really, you know, worked that out in my head, is that really something to get bent out of shape about? Is that something we have to have a conversation about? Is that something we have to fight about? You know, that's. Not my, not my house anymore, you know? And some of you are saying, my house it would be, you know? I, I really love my wife, you know? I mean, I, I just, it's just not. Not everything's code blue, okay? Now, I know you got to figure that out for your house. Maybe your house is different than my house. You know, what upsets you? I, but listen, not everything's code blue. Here's, here's some interesting things, okay? Your feelings being hurt, well, this is going to be hard. Your feelings being hurt, it's not code blue. Not according to the Bible. It's not according to the Bible. You, what you do not see in the Bible is, you know, Paul getting his feelings hurt, throwing down his Bible and saying, that, 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 that's it, you know. You don't see that pattern in the Bible. You don't see that pattern with Jesus. It's not code blue. Somebody in your Sunday school differs with you about head coverings for women. That's not code blue, Okay. Ladies, if you want to wear a hat at Lincoln, you wear one, okay? If you don't want to wear one, that's fine too, you know? We're just not going to code blue that, okay? Uh, Unless somebody can show me clearly that there's a clear scriptural thing for our context, maybe then, but service didn't have the music you liked. It's not code blue. We bought brown chairs and you wanted orange ones because you're an OSU fan. It's not code blue. You went to your small group tonight and somebody dominated the discussion. You know, 
the leader brought up a topic and that person started out giving their opinion and they gave it for the entire time. That's annoying. But it's not code blue. It's not. It's not something we start throwing down our Bibles on. It's not code blue. Even worse, in my opinion, you go to your small group tonight, someone bring, the leader brings out a discussion, question, what do you guys think about this? Chirp, 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 nothing. Some of you guys, if you haven't been leaders, you don't know how bad this is. So you throw something else out there. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Okay, it's not good, but it's not code blue. It's not something that we give up on. It's not something we're mad about. Somebody criticized you. That hurts. That doesn't it? It does. That happens, happens, it happens. It's not code blue. You see, let's go back. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. You see, if we're going to pull off not being quarrelsome, those things can't be code blue, okay? If they are, then you're, you're going to be quarrelsome. I mean, you're going to be fighting a lot, you know, unless you just isolate yourself from people that, you know, they're, aren't unlike you in any way. I mean, I mean that's, that's just the reality. Man, I want, listen, I want to be a servant of the Lord. And, and what that means for me as a pastor, I got to be a little bit thick-skinned, you know? There's a great verse in Proverbs. I can't find it. I looked this morning, made me so mad, you know, but I know it's in there. You know, that just talks about that, talks about, you know, it's got this great image about, you know, bearing with, you know, difficult people and things that are done against you. Um, So I had to kind of resort to Colossians, which, you know, it says the same thing, but the Proverbs one was just really engaging. But Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Friends, what does it mean to bear with one another? You know what that means? That means when someone does something that upsets you, you don't go to code blue, you know? When you bear with somebody, you're like, okay, okay, I'll carry that. Thank you. Another one. Thank you. All right. And that's what it means to bear. Isn't Isn't that what that means? Bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven you. I mean, that that's what it means to not be quarrelsome. And so because the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, Paul, and I'm so thankful to him for this, he gives us four, four exhortations about how not to be quarrelsome. Notice in verse uh, 24, here they begin, okay? So we're going to have four of them. Are you ready? And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but, number one, here's how to not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Kind to everyone. Man, everyone is the kicker there, isn't it? You know, I mean, if, if it was just be kind to and we get to fill in the blank, oh, that's fun, right? You know, and we get to exclude certain people from that blank. That's not what it says. It says if you're going to be quarrelsome, you know what you got to do? You got to be practically good. Okay, that's what kindness is. It's acts of practical goodness toward other people. You got to be kind, meaning to everyone, okay? You know, what, you know what's possible, folks? It's possible to have a quarrel that stems from the fact, not that there's an issue, but the fact that you haven't been kind, okay? You know what? If, if you're a jerk to people, you can expect quarrels, okay? If they're, you know, I mean, I mean there, there's a lot of times where that's true. There's times in parenting, man, I see this in parenting. There's times where, where a son or a daughter is set against mom and dad, and a lot of times it's not even the issue. You know what it is? There's been a lack of kindness between the two parties, and so I think what Paul's saying here is, look, if we're not going to be a quarrelsome people, we've got to work really hard at being kind to everyone. I mean, you want to know how to smooth the road in your family? You want to know how to smooth the road in your church, in your small group, in your Sunday school class, in your workplace? One of the ways that you smooth that road to avoid quarrels is by being kind to everyone. 
It's interesting to me what God does for us. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, this is a great verse. He says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Okay? Here's the fact about you and I. When we didn't care anything for God, when we were set against God, when we were enemies of God, you know what God did? God was kind to you. God practically took care of you. He was generous with you. He was merciful with you. He did things in your life that drew you to himself. Now, let me just ask this question. If that's the way that God acts, and if the result of that was repentance on our part, is it possible that we're being taught to do the same thing? Is it possible that when you're set against somebody who opposes you and opposes truth, and it is wrong, and legitimately in the wrong, is it possible that my being kind to that person might give God the opportunity to bring them to repentance? You know what? I think so, because look at where the verse goes, okay? Verse 24 says, be being kind to everyone. Verse 5, 25 says, correcting your opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Okay? Paul puts those two together. Paul says, as you are kind to people, that brings about repentance in, your, in, in others' lives. Okay? So number one, be kind to every, everyone. Number two, be able to teach. Okay? Be able to teach. Now, how, how does that happen? The, the able to teach helps us not to be quarrelsome. Well, you know what, folks? We need to be able to articulate from the scriptures what we believe. You know what? You know what we try to do sometimes? We try to just, we try to just force people to, to believe something just because we said it. This is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because I said so. Okay? Now, that works, when that works when your kids are three. Okay? That doesn't work with church members. That doesn't work with lost people. That doesn't work with the people in your workplace. You know what a lot of Christians will do? They'll, they'll, they'll pick a social issue. Abortion's wrong. And somebody will say, well, why is it wrong? And they'll say, well, because it's wrong. You know, you know what we do? If you've been in a foreign country and you can't speak the language and the people are not getting what you say, and so what do you do? You speak louder. Yeah. Does, does that work? You know, I'd like to order a hamburger. Huh? Hamburger! It's not very effective. Okay? That's what, that's what a lot of Christians do, though. They, they, they'll have an issue they're passionate about. Well, can, can you show me where in the scriptures? No, I can't. It's just wrong. You know, hey, that, that's not effective. Now, now granted, I, I, I believe, you know, I believe that Paul is writing to a pastor here. And there, there's an especial necessity for a pastor to be able to articulate what he believes. But friends, as you will notice all through the pastoral epistles, what is true of a pastor is true of his people as well. Just at a differing degree, is it not? You know, when we, when we look at the qualifications for a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3, let me read some of them. Verse 3, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Listen, do those just apply to a pastor? You know, am I not supposed to be a drunkard, but it's, you're free to come in here sauced up on whiskey so you'll enjoy the sermon better? I mean, is that what we would say? Uh, would we say that I'm not to be violent, but you're, you're free to go killing people? No, obviously not. And so what's true of a pastor ought to be true of his people at maybe a lesser degree or a lesser level of accountability. And so here's the truth. Friends, we need to be able to make arguments from Scripture for the things that we're convinced of. You know, when you talk to your kids about sexual purity, you know what you need to be able to do? You need to be able to do more than just say, don't do this. It's wrong. You do it, I'm whipping you. Okay, well, okay. But... You know what I think you ought to be able to do? You ought to be able to open up your Bible and say, listen, here's what God says. 
Man, I love you and I want you to know here's God's plan. Here's what he promises. Here's what he warns against. Here's the consequences of sin. Son, look, 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 at, look at what it says here and, and look at what it says here. And let me write these verses down for you. And I want you to think about these verses. I want you to read these. We're, we're going to base what we believe on the word of God. You need to be able to make an argument for why salvation is by grace through faith and not good works. You need to make an argument. You need to be able to look in your Bibles to tell people this is why I believe there's a literal hell that people will go to for an eternity and will suffer forever without Jesus. You need to be able to know those things from the scriptures. And sometimes there's quarrels just because we haven't articulated clearly what the Bible says. Number three, patiently enduring evil. Oh man, do you see that? Verse 24, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. You know why a lot of quarrels come back? Because somebody's Somebody's getting revenge. That's true, isn't it? That's true. Sometimes we're, sometimes we're at odds with somebody, not because of the issue. Man, have you ever seen this at work? <laughs> I remember when I worked in Kansas City, I worked with a whole bunch of guys uh, from Kansas, the Kansas City area on a grounds crew. And man, it was hilarious. There'd be, there'd be two guys that would never agree on anything. Now, you know why they wouldn't agree on anything? Because they're mad at each other, you know? It didn't have anything to do with the issue, you know? One of them be like, I think we ought to hook it up, you know, hook the tractor up this way. Nah, that's stupid, you know. I'm like, you know, guys, you have this discussion every day about something, you know, and you're always at odds. You know why you're always at odds? Because you're resentful of one another. So, so what's Paul telling us here? Patiently enduring evil. Most, most quarrels stem from hurt. I tell that to all my premarital counseling couples. I say, look, you know, what's the source of conflict? Most, most all the time it's hurt. Somebody feels unloved, they feel uncared for, they feel um, distrusted, they feel disrespected. You know, James kind of switches it around. In James 4, he says it a different way. He says, quarrels come from the fact that we want something that we can't get. So, same deal, you want security, you want love, you want respect, you want whatever, and you don't get that, and so you're angry. Okay, But, but here's, here's what Paul's telling us. You know, avoiding quarrels means simply this, being patient with evil. I was talking to somebody the other day and they had a problem, a conflict. And I said, man, you know what the Bible says here? You, you got to love these people. You know, you got to reach out. You, they turned around and they said, but they're evil. You know, and I was like, I don't doubt that. You know, I, I'm not, that's not a new fact for me. I, I kind of assumed that, you know, but the Bible says patiently enduring evil. Man, Jesus is the great example of this, isn't he? Man, how did Jesus handle being attacked? First Peter chapter two, verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Okay? When when people slandered, accused, criticized Jesus, he did not revile in return. What did he do? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued. This This is the good part. Continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You know what Jesus did when people were evil to him? He trusted himself to God. Which brings us to our final point, which says correcting Listen to this. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. This is verse 25. How do you not be quarrelsome? You learn to correct your opponents with gentleness. Now, here's what this tells me. First of all, it tells me that there are times where we need to correct, okay? I spent a whole lot of time at the beginning of this service telling you not everything's code blue, right? Some things down here, right? Code yellow, okay? But some things are code blue, okay? And those things you need to correct. 
I mean, there, there are things in your family, there are things in your church, there are things probably in your friendships and, and, and at work. There are times where someone is living in clear and defined sin and you need to be a person who's brave enough to step in there and correct them, okay? But as you do that, crucial, you got to do it with gentleness. You got to do it with gentleness. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know, I, th- I think it does mean just simply as we think of the word gentle, you go in there calmly, you go in there with love, you go in there tenderly, okay? But, but that word is bigger than that. The word is proutus in, in the New Testament. It's used a lot. One of my favorite words in the New Testament, actually. It's used in the Beatitudes when Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Remember that? That's the same word. Meek, gentle is the same word. And it's a word that describes a person who is oriented toward God. They're not overly impressed with themselves. Their focus is on God. And over and over again, that word is used for someone who when when difficulty comes into their life, they let it roll off of them and onto God. Okay, that's a beautiful picture. A meek person, a gentle person is a person who accepts God's dealing with them as good. They let it roll off of them and on to God. They don't respond in anger and passion and retaliation. They, they trust God. They're, they're like a horse that's been broken. They submit to the leadership of God. And friends, as you think about the quarrels in your life, many of them would not ever take place if we would simply say, God, I'm just going to trust you in this. And God, as, as I go forth, and I'm going to have to correct, but God, I'm, I'm going to do it in, in, in a spirit of gentleness, and a spirit of love, because I trust you in this situation. And, and friends, where is all of this leading? All, everything we've talked about today, it's leading to verse 25 that says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. You know what our hope is in all of this? Our hope is that whoever we have a conflict with, whoever we're opposed to, whoever we have a theological disagreement with, our prayer is not that we would win. There, there are many times where that, that's what we want. We want to win. We want to win the argument. We want to be shown right. We want to give a real hearty, I told you so. That's not the goal. Our goal is to sow the seeds of truth in a package that they will receive Praying that God and leaving this to God, that God will bring repentance in their life. Isn't that a beautiful picture about how to handle things? Think about this. The image I just used for you is we carry the truth to people and we carry it to them in a package. Okay? Let's say I had a diamond. Big one. Okay? Big diamond in my hand. And let's say I'm going to give it to you, but you don't know I'm going to give it to you. But I'm going to wrap it up for you. And so I pull out my hanky. I got sinus trouble right now, by the way. I put it in there and I wrap it up. I say, sister, I got something for you. Brother. I not, now, first of all, you're not going to want to receive what I have to give. Why? Not because it's not valuable. It's very valuable. It's packaged in snot. There's a lot of times... We're not very effective in evangelism. We're not very effective in bringing truth. We're not very effective in confronting people in sin. And the reason we're not is, it's not that we don't have the truth. It's that we're bringing it in a package of unkindness. We're bringing it in a package of roughness with people. We're bringing it in a package of pride. We're bringing it in a package of, I don't don't really know what I believe. I'm just going to talk loud and accuse you of bad things. Listen. People don't receive truth that way. How, how do you, let me ask you this. How do you look at the people that disagree with you? How do you look at the people that are in conflict with you? Uh, listen, are they your enemy? 
Hello. Look at this. Verse 26. That they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. What's the deal? They're not our enemy, are they? The devil's our enemy. They're people that have been captured by the devil. You know, folks that believe radically different than you. Maybe, maybe they believe that salvation is by Islam. Maybe they believe that, um, that abortion is a good thing. Maybe they believe that homosexuality is a perfectly righteous lifestyle. Okay, let me ask you, are those people your enemy? You know how Paul looks at them? He says, he says they, are, they are people who need to escape from the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do his will. How do you look at that confrontational person in your family? Man, they've been captured by the devil. Let me ask you this question. I read this, this illustration. I thought it was really good. I can't remember who gave it. But they said, how, how, do we, how do we go about it when some of our troops, our American troops, get captured by the enemy? What do we do? You know, they get captured by the enemy. They're over in a concentration camp somewhere. How do we handle that? Do we, do we send the Navy SEALs over there with sniper rifles and take them all out? No, we don't, do we? That's terrible. You know what we do? We try to rescue them, right? We try to rescue them. So I wonder if that doesn't help. When, when it, whenever we think of people that are on the opposite end of a, of a conflict from us, and we're really convinced, hey, we've we got we to give this as a possibility. We haven't talked about this. We could be wrong. <laughs> wow, we hadn't thought about that, have we? <laughs> All right, that's another sermon, though. Let's just assume we're right. Let's assume we're right. They're not our enemy. They're, they're people that have been captured by the devil. And our, our role is to bring the truth in a package that will be effective, praying that God will bring repentance. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to handle conflict rightly. God, uh, it's just going to be there. God, I know it's going to be in our families. I know it's going to be in marriages. I know it's going to be in in our church. God, I I hate that. God, I I wish that that were not true. But God, I I know that it it was true in Paul's day and Timothy's day, and it's true in our day. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, you'd help us not to be a quarrelsome people. God, we want to be servants of the Lord. And Lord, we know that we must not be quarrelsome. And so, Lord, help us to be people who handle conflict well, able to teach, kind to everyone, patient while enduring evil, correcting with gentleness. God, and we pray that you'd bring repentance. We pray that you would rescue those who've been snagged by the devil. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.